episode, we are talking with Casey Churchill at Liberty Common School, Aristotle Campus. Casey shares with us the reasons behind expansion of Liberty Common into two campuses, as well as some of the successes and challenges with replicating a core knowledge school. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Building Knowledge Podcast. Today, I have with me a returning guest. This is Casey Churchill. Um, We talked to Casey about a year ago uh, about his school, Liberty Common. And since then, uh, Liberty Common actually replicated. So I thought I'd have Casey on to talk a little bit about what that whole process is like um, because we do have so many charter schools that use core knowledge and they might be either in the midst of this process or thinking about doing this process. Um, and we always want really good quality schools out there. Um, so Casey, welcome back. Thanks, Kristen. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about why did Liberty come and decide to replicate? Yeah, so we, we um First of all, thank you for having me on. Um, I love um, talking with you about all of this and, and our amazing school. Um, we had we had actually talked about expanding for several years now. Um, uh, Liberty, uh, this is actually our twenty fifth uh, anniversary year, year anniversary of uh, since opening, and um, and so um, you know we've been around for quite some time and um, have a pretty very good uh, track record with our students. And um, we had uh, expanded in the past in 2010 to expand to a high school. At that time, our elementary school or our district actually um, had, it was grades K through five or great grades K through six in elementary school, seven, eight, nine in the, in the middle school, and then 10, 11, 12 for the high school or something like that. And they changed it to be K through five and then um, six, seven, and eight in the middle school and then nine, 10, 11, 12 for the high school. And so at that time we needed to decide um, whether we open our doors K through 12 or, um, or just, you know, stop teaching ninth grade because most kids would leave our school after eighth grade and go to, to the middle school for ninth grade. Um, and so we needed to get that kind of figured out. So we expanded to have a high school in 2010. And so this really isn't, um, you know, the first time that we've expanded, we did expand our high school in 2010. Um, but after that, even, um, you know, our lottery just kind of hung out in the realm of around 1200 kids in our lottery. And, and it would, you know, we would purge our lottery, uh, every year and it would kind of go down to like seven, 800 or so. And um, and then it would build back up again when we would do public info nights. But what we found was a couple of things. Um, first of all, our lottery would just kind of hang out at that a thousand range. People on our lottery, a thousand, twelve hundred. We you know we purge the lottery and it would get back up there pretty quickly. And I think a lot of that was due to the timing of uh, the pandemic. Um, a lot of school. Um, the other thing that we started to kind of notice was at our public info nights in the past. Folks would come to our public info night and we would say that we only have like, you know, I don't know, 23 openings, let's say in the kindergarten classes and people would say, oh, shucks, we can't get in. And they would just kind of move on and they were okay with where they were at. And it wasn't the end of the world that they couldn't get into Liberty. And during the the pandemic, when we were doing these info nights, we noticed that people were like 
mad, you know, pretty like upset that they couldn't get in. It reminds us a lot of our past history when um, we first opened um, that same thing kind of happened. Um, and so we encouraged families to open up their own school. And that's how Ridgeview Classical School came to be. And we helped them through that process um, to start their own school. And um, that same thing kind of came back during this pandemic where um, people were just kind of mad. And so our uh, so we had, like I said, looked at expanding um, for uh, the past few years. But when we were looking, we, you know, we just couldn't find the right um, time or the facility to move into. Sometimes the buildings are too large. Some of the times they were too small. Sometimes it just was too expensive or the construction was unwieldy for us to, to get it figured out in a timely manner. Uh, but around January or February, we heard about a charter school that was downsizing in our um, in our city. Then it was on the west side of um, Fort Collins. And it's the Colorado Early Colleges uh, building that used to be owned by uh, Global Village Academy. And so they they were kind of downsizing and, and, and looking to uh, lease or sell that building. And so we felt like that was a a sign that um, that that would be a pretty easy thing to move into. Our current school, the Plato campus is the older campus, and that was a toothpaste factory. So for us to be able to move into a school that was created as a school was pretty, pretty, pretty awesome uh, thing, you know, where you could just move in and everything's uh, ready to go. So um, after many meetings and discussions about expanding, uh, we put together financial scenarios of whether this would work or not. And uh, not only was it doable, but it was very, very much um, something that was that, that we could make happen uh, on the quick. And at the end of April, our board voted to move forward with the expansion. Um, and we, so we had about three months to enroll about 250 students in our um, facility here at the Aristotle campus. Um, so that's great. It's K through four, two tracks, so two classrooms of kindergarten, first grade, all the way up. And then next year, we'll have three tracks of kindergarten, two full-time kindergarten classes and two um, part-time kindergarten classes. And then we're going to allow that bubble and kindergarten just to work its way up. So next year, it'll be three tracks of kindergarten. And then we'll have a fifth grade, obviously, because fourth grade would move up and so forth. And it'll, in the end, be K through six, three tracks. Uh, but it'll take us a while to get there because that, that kindergarten bubble will need to work its way up, which, by the way, I am thrilled with because, as anybody knows, that it, that it has expanded. Um, the grow, growing too fast can be kind of a painful thing. And so it'll be nice to allow those kids to matriculate up through the grade levels. Absolutely. And then that also helps you have those students have that background knowledge that we all know is so important with with core knowledge. Um, because I hear that all the time with schools that when students come in at fourth or fifth grade, they're at a loss. Like, what do we do? We don't know how to give all, impart all that knowledge to them that they've missed. And so you will have that moving forward. So in six years, you'll have a full class of someone that's gone through the entire thing. So that's really yeah. cool. And we see that, you know, the, the, you know, I don't see it as much maybe in first and second grade. You know, sometimes the second graders will look at them as being the, the, the pandemic kids. So they maybe struggle a little bit with reading, but those younger grade levels are pretty easy to um, catch them up. But we do see that in our third and fourth grade classes. It's tough. You know, they've it's not as if they come to us without any content, but it's just all over the place. 
And so we do have to um, think about differentiating that instruction to make sure that we can get all those kids on the same page. But it has been absolutely amazing um, opening this school because at the other campus, the Plato campus, the um, original school, um, we would take in new kids, but they're just kind of peppered throughout. And so, you know, I would have to just run in, literally run into a family in the hallway for them to stop me, grab me and say, Hey, this is such a great experience. Uh, this is how it compared to our other school or whatever at this campus, everybody's new. And so you don't really have to step very far to have people come up to you and say, wow, I can't believe um, how much content my um, child is um, getting. Um, I can't believe how well you communicate about how, um, you know, my student is doing in school. And um, and it's just really kind of coming at you from all angles. And that's what we've heard is that a lot of the other schools would say, oh, your kid's fine. And they're like, really? Because they can't read. So why are we saying that they're fine? And then the other thing that people have said is that they would say, you know, well, what can I do at home to help my child out? And they'd say, well, don't worry about it. We've got it. And they weren't able to cough up a curriculum or strategies or, you know, uh, items or worksheets or books that they could send home to help these families. And at Liberty, we believe that it's the parent's right and responsibility to direct the education and upbringing of their children. So we are here to assist the family as a primary educator to help their child read. So if somebody asks us what they can do at home, we've got materials to give those families to work with them at home. We would encourage that. And um, so it's really been rewarding to um, have so many folks uh, be a part of this um, this expansion or replication journey uh, because we really see the success really from all coming in at all areas. You know, we'll have fall festival and winter carnival and everybody comes to them. <laughs> we have a love and logic uh, evening for parents and a bunch of people signed up for it. And so it's really energizing to see how much parents really want to be a part of this educational process that we provide here at Liberty. So are you already seeing people who want to go to the Aristotle campus signing up for the lottery? How many do you have? Yeah, off the top of my head, I'm not sure they quite the number on that, but there, our lottery still is kind of in that realm of about 800, maybe 800, 900, maybe around 1,000. Um, a lot of folks want the original campus, um, and it is tricky. You know, we're on the west side of town. The other campus is on the east side of town, and so it is kind of depends on uh, people's tolerance, you know, family's tolerance to drive kids across town. Um, but the other campus is pretty much already full. And our registrars have been working around the clock to um, to enroll kindergarten kids and then any other folks within our building that that have chosen to left to leave. We have so we were supposed to be at about 250 this year. We're hanging out around 220. Um, that was sort of shocking to me. You know, I thought that with a lottery that big that that it would be no problem to fill, but it is complicated. You know, families have to decide if their child's in fourth grade, whether or not to leave the current school that they're at and come to, to our school. So it isn't really that easy of a, of a decision. And we, I appreciate that um, as a family. Um, kindergarten, first grade, second grade is usually easier to fill. Um, and so currently our K-1-2 classes are full and I feel confident that moving forward that will stay the, stay the course. Um, but it will probably always be hard as it is even at the other campus to backfill some of those upper grade levels. Yeah, no, that's a problem that I think all charters face. So can you briefly describe what the replication process is like in Colorado? Um, and just for our listeners, Colorado is a very charter friendly state. Um, so your replication process, 
may or may not be similar to what our other listeners have. Yeah. So when our board and the administration was tossing around the idea of expanding, um, we really took a deep dive into what our what was allowed, what our charter allowed. And we had discussed becoming, you know, a CMO, a chartering management organization. We discussed opening up a charter in another district. Um, we discussed obviously opening up another charter school here in Fort Collins. Um, as uh, as our our P- Pooter School District is our authorizer for our charter, and um, there was nothing in the charter that stated that that we couldn't you know replicate or grow bigger. Uh, so we felt compelled, really, with if we had a lottery of uh, folks that were within our community, we felt compelled to be able to um, serve our community and offer these folks um, the Liberty curriculum that we that we um, that we have. Um, so since we um, already grew before our high school expansion in in 2010, like I mentioned, we knew that this is something that we could pull off in in three months. So um, I already had. From the 2010 high school expansion because remember when we expanded to the high school we went from two tracks in every grade level to three tracks at the plato campus the the uh, original school so we had all of the purchase orders for all the curriculum in order to replicate so i had a pretty good feeling that i could bring those old po's up send them out to our staff and ask them to you know look that over and put new prices in there of what the textbooks cost and um, and send those back to me and we could get those, you know, get the curriculum up and running pretty quick. Um, but we informed our local school district of our intent to expand. So obviously it's important to keep them in the loop. Uh, they mostly wanted to see financial scenarios and ensure that we had a building uh, to house uh, our school. Um, we did. So it was approved by the Pooter School District Board. Uh, at their on the, uh, consent agenda at one of their meetings. And um, once we had approval from our Liberty Board and the PSD Board, um, we immediately started an expansion committee, which I think is a really important thing to think about. When, when you expand, um, like I know that I could expand with Liberty staff ourselves, but I don't think that's a very smart thing to do. You know, we we are only expanding because families in our community are interested in the educational product that we have. And so um, it's a smart process, I believe, to bring those families along with you. So we uh, we invited interested families to join um, our expansion committee. And um, so this is a small group of staff, parents um, at the current school, parents that want in at the at the new school and the primary work of that committee was really just to figure out what the next steps are in order to open that building which would be you know get a sign on the building um uh get a bunch of students and families together to help um, move furniture into the building um you know uh advertising so in the past we never really had to advertise um but now that we were opening our doors to so many more families who really had to get the word out to everybody that we were um, growing and that um, our school is accessible to everybody. We get a lot of folks that think that we're a private school and you you have to pay to come. And um, so we really needed to, you know, host a lot of public info meetings and get the word out that, you know, this is a a school for anybody in our community. Um, So, um, you know, I just think it's important to involve parents in that process since it's their school 
And um, we're really here to help them through that that process. Um, I wanted to mention that one of the other important things is really having um, all the logistics kind of ready to go um, to open on August 22nd. Um, and that's uh, really from, you know, drop, drop off and pick up procedures um, at our school, um, informing families of our dress code and all of those types of things. Um, and so that was kind of a big lift as well to get everybody on the same page of how to communicate out the, you know, they, they host, our families hosted um, like uh, socials at our school. It's interesting when opening a school, uh, you know, if you don't have a building, I think it's hard to get folks to commit because there's not this building. When you have a building, then that that helps the folks that have a, a, a comfort level to be able to see this physical building. And then you've got folks that really want to get inside and walk around. And so as we grew and opened, put furniture in the building and put art on the walls, I believe that really kind of captured more and more people from the community that were interested in our school at various comfort levels or risk levels, I guess, uh, when you're opening up a new school. That's kind of interesting. So. so were there any challenges that you faced that really surprised you or were you, you know, because you had expanded to the high school and then added the track um, at, at the Plato campus that there wasn't anything that you were like, whoa, okay, I wasn't expecting this. Yeah. So I would say that the, um, so I, I don't really know that there's, you know, we don't really necessarily believe that there's like a teacher shortage per se. But there definitely is, I think, just in general, hiring folks has just been difficult for everybody everywhere. But we're fortunate to not have to have a teaching license to work at Liberty. We don't believe that that is a end all for uh, being an incredible teacher. Um, you can have a teaching license and you can be incredible. You can not have a teaching license and you can be incredible teacher. Um, you can have a teaching license and not be very good at all. It doesn't necessarily matter. And so we have a very rigorous interview process to identify the best teachers to have up in front of our kids. And we really want smart teachers that are knowledgeable about the content that they teach. Um, and so, but hiring in three months was tricky. And it was only really tricky because we missed that hiring window. So the hiring window for anybody that's in education, they know that it's kind of February, March, April and that that window, right? And so if we started hiring in, you know, May, that can make things pretty tricky because a lot of people have already landed their feet someplace else. Um, so hiring, I think, was um, a tough thing. Before the expansion, we had, I think, one or two people to hire. After we decided to expand, we had 40. So if that's not enough to give you a panic attack, I don't know what it is. But it was like, we went from hardly having to hire anybody to... 40 people. As a matter of fact, at our um, back to school, you know, welcome back to school in August, we had everybody together here at the Aristotle campus. And, um, and Sandy Stolzfus, the principal over at the Plato campus said, let's have everybody that's new stand up and, you know, just introduce themselves briefly. And the half of the audience stood up and stood against the wall. And we're like, wow, I didn't, you know, when you visually see half of everybody stand up, you realize how much you've actually grown. Um, the other couple things is the mass enrolling students. We never really mass enrolled students. Typically our registrar and uh, Julie Russell is a registrar over at the Plato campus and Marnie Dame is a registrar here at the Aristotle campus. But um, 
So having a knowledgeable person in that seat, I think is really important. And Julie has done an amazing job with that. But even for her, it kind of threw her for a loop because typically when we enroll students, we're just enrolling like, you know, a few handful of kindergartners and a peppering of kids throughout the entire school. So we had never gone through this process of taking in a mass amount of students into our school all at one time. So they had to, Marnie and Julie really had to sit down and work through what that process looks like. Um, we had things like, do you want um, this campus or the other campus or either? And that either really kind of threw us for a loop because it's complicated. When you say either, you know, we kind of want people to pinpoint themselves, which campus do you want? And when you have an either, that just takes that much more time for the registrar to then figure out, do you really mean either? Or are you just putting that um, on, on the lottery. Um, so there were just like protocols and procedures in that regard that um, they had to kind of work through. And then um, really outfitting the school with furniture. Um, as everybody knows, there's this uh, supply chain issue. And so if we would have ordered all new furniture, it would have been very costly. And I don't know that we would have had anything on time, like legitimately. And so we went with a company, um, a reuse network, and this is a company that takes, um, it's called reuse network. They take furniture from buildings that are shutting down and um, the district will pay them to come in and get rid of the furniture. And then they will give the furniture to us for free. Um, it cost us a semi trailer. And so, you know, the first question was, what does a semi trailer cost? And it's around, I think it was like a couple thousand dollars. And so, um, so a school in Eaton was getting torn down, Eaton, Colorado. And um, actually, this email came across my computer, and I was like, "That's another sign that we should expand because this school is getting rid of furniture." And so, um, that company loaded up about three semis worth, or uh, three semis worth of yeah furniture. And um, this parent uh, uh, committee, expansion committee, then helped organize students and families to come to our school and offload all the student desks into classrooms. And um, it was such a blessing to be able to have this furniture so that we could open our doors on time because um, really without this company, I don't know that we would have been able to open with chairs and things like that. And so now that we have been in operation, um, we are applying for the um, grant money to then um, purchase all brand new furniture and, and cafeteria tables and all those sorts of things um, this coming year. Um, but at least this furniture that we have kind of tied us through to open our doors on day one. That is such a cool resource. I have never heard about that. And um, I definitely am going to be sharing that with some of the schools that we know that are brand new, that are struggling um, with doing things like outfitting their schools. Um, yeah, and it's not, you know, never heard of it. Yeah, and it's not great stuff, but it's at least enough. I mean, a table is a table, and anybody that's in education knows that uh, that those chairs that the kids sit in, the you know, the plastic chairs, they'll last for years. And so, it's a great way to just tide ourselves over to you know until we get the the new furniture. And it's not about the furniture, you know, it's about the content that we teach, the curriculum, having the best up teachers up front. And um, I worry sometimes that people will go into schools that are all shiny and all the new technology and chairs. And it's like that that is only neat for the, you know, the first few months of school. After that, we really want to get to what's being taught and what's going on in the kids' heads. So um, 
it's been kind of a neat thing to see chairs that are mismatched in the classrooms and, and, um, table. I have just regular tables out here in the, in the cafeteria and, um, and we'll get the, the new cafeteria tables and all that kind of thing. But, um, to tie this over, this company has been a, a pretty cool thing. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so speaking of what's being taught, uh, everybody knows, I mean, Liberty Common, um, the Plato campus is a school of distinction. And so I am sure um, that Cornellage was in the forefront of your mind during this whole process. So how did you make sure that Cornellage was implemented from day one at the Aristotle campus? Yeah, so um, as soon as the, the approval from our board uh, passed to expand, um, I met with uh, select teachers from the current school and asked uh, about one teacher from every grade level to move over to the new campus. I feel like that's really important to help with the culture and the continuity of uh, both campuses. We keep saying over and over again, we are one school with two campuses. And we repeated that over and over again with our with our um, teaching staff and our families. So um, we moved one teacher over um, for each grade level. They acted as the, the mentor teachers at the new school. And remember, if we took one teacher from the other campus, they had holes to fill at the original campus as well. I always say we kind of took the Plato campus down a little bit and brought the Aristotle campus up a little bit. You know, we took some of their library books and so forth. So um, so we really, you know, both are, um, I guess the advantage, the added advantage of the Plato campus is that they have families that, you know, understand the culture that are in that school. We have a lot of newer families at the, at the new campus, but ultimately um, we kind of leveled out uh, the staffing at each school. Um, so we also had just a lengthy Cornellage training um, at the start of the school year um, and Liberty philosophy training with all new staff. Um, and then we uh, have the staff, we have, we call them collaboration meetings. And so the staff at the first staff meeting of every month, we get both elementary campuses together. We'll either have it at the Aristotle campus or at the Plato campus. And we are using that time for teachers teacher teams, grade level teams to get together and plan for that month. That's why it's at the beginning of the month. So they can have a discussion of what's being covered there forward. Now that those conversations have been a little bit tricky because our kids are coming in a little bit lower than the other campus. So we have had some pretty heavy conversations around the fact that we're going to probably have to bring down the rigor a little bit at the Aristotle campus, reach our kids and pull them up with us versus the other camp campus. That's just kind of plugging along up here. And, um, and uh, I don't know, there's been a little bit of adjusting, I guess, in regard to the students that are at each campus. And then I would say one of the other things that was just has been really helpful is we spent a lot of time in the past few years on working on year long curriculum maps and unit and lesson organizers or domain maps, as the foundation calls them. And those detailed unit domain maps have been very helpful for our new teachers. So um, I've never really been a proponent of making teachers do the singular lesson planning. Um, I think that's great. And I have our new teachers do that to memorialize their thinking around how they're structuring their lesson plans. But I believe that's more of an exercise in thinking about how to lesson plan. Um, I just don't think that you can create all the lesson plans that you would need to create in a year. You would, you would die. You just can't create that many lesson plans. We teach 
hundreds and there are thousands of lessons throughout our year. So to think that you're going to create every lesson that you teach is, I think, kind of a, something that just can't necessarily be achieved or would be very difficult. But to create a unit organizer or a lesson organizer, um, I think is a very powerful thing. So we took and, and we do this in the chronology trainings, you know, your year long curriculum map for a month, it might say Rome in third grade, let's say, and then you, you do a unit organizer for Rome. And I like that idea because it pulls the team together, the teaching team to get on the same page of what a unit looks like. And I believe that is a much more lengthy and, and deep conversation that can take place with colleagues than one lesson, because I might do my lesson slightly different than my colleague. A lesson's very individualized. We'll cover the same content, but we might just handle it differently. But the units should look the same and we should cover the same amount of material and the same amount of time. And, um, and all of that should look the same across the board. So that is a big part of what those collaboration meetings look like. They'll look at those, you know, what's the next unit that we're going to teach in history or science and so forth. I think that's awesome that you can have both campuses work together like that. Um, so was, do you think it is easier to implement core knowledge in this replication or additional campus model, what you're doing right now um, versus a brand new school? Yeah, that, to me, this is an easy one. I, absolutely replicating our current school. You know, our school had a proven track record and interest from families in our community that wanted our educational product or service. And um, we knew um, and still know that there's interest in our interest in our community of folks that want to come to our school. Um, our schools are already up and running. Um, if we hypothetically couldn't get a textbook or something like that, we could take you know one or a few from the other campus and share them over here at this campus. So to have a lifeline of a school that's already in existence and um, and staff. Uh, readily available that understand our culture and our policies and procedures is, I think, absolutely invaluable. We've got systems in place as well as precedent that's been set at various about various procedures and policies and philosophies that absolutely, I think, helps us um, start off on the right foot right out of the gate. Um, I think it's very difficult for schools to start up brand new. There's uh, first and foremost, just a financial issue of opening up a school. Charter schools typically operate all expenses off of the per pupil rate, PPR, while district schools have public bond money to purchase um, their buildings. At Liberty, we have to be fiscally responsible since we only are using the PPR funding to lease our building to pay staff, to buy curriculum, to buy furniture and all of those things. So we're already starting off um, with less money. But if you're a new school, you're really you're really kind of at a disadvantage. Um, schools that start off, um, that start new also have um, to have a well-defined educational philosophy and proven track record to gain buy-in from families in the community. Liberty already had this, which was evident um, from the large lottery and interest at our public information nights. Um, but this experience, I think, has just been really interesting to me because we took the Liberty Common School Plato campus and just plopped that curriculum into a new location. 
And that had never been done before because when we expanded to a third track, we were still at that old campus. So we still had families around that understood our culture and and the amount of homework and the rigor that was really involved. Um, But when you really take all of that and put it into a new location, there's some effort involved to communicate to families um, and have public info nights and and, uh, do our best to make sure that everybody's on the same page. But ultimately, you know, we kind of know what we're looking for. And, and I think the funny example of that, by the way, is we had a free dress day. This isn't about core knowledge, but more about like our dress code. And um, I we didn't do the best job in communicating what free dress day should be like. There was like one sentence that we missed in um, how to dress for free dress day. And there's just some parameters on what we were looking for. And um, uh, the first car pulls up at our drop off. And this girl gets out and she had leggings on and leggings is one of the things that we don't want our kids to wear. And we don't want staff to wear. We just are like, those aren't pants. You can have a skirt over that, but you just can't wear leggings. So I followed the girl in and she went down to the classroom and I kind of mentioned it to the teacher. And as I walked back to go outside, all these kids were walking by with leggings on, you know, and as a school, I think it's so funny because it's fine and we will communicate it next time, you know, in February here, we've got another public or a free dress day, but, um, but that's the kind of thing that if you're a new school, you don't even know what you're looking for. And so for us to step into this new location, like I know that leggings is not all right. And so I can look for that and I can I can craft or I can work with our community to not wear those on free dress day. But if you're a new school, you wouldn't even know, you wouldn't even know what you were or weren't looking for on a free dress day. But since we have 25 years under our belt, we know what's allowable and what's not allowable. And we're able to really work with families to get to that point. So pretty neat. Do you think that it was also easier because you were able to take teachers from that Plato campus and bring them over who already had like the institutional knowledge? about the community, as well as the, uh, you know, the curriculum itself. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, like we um, have worked really hard to purge our library of all non-books. So we want to make sure that there are complex texts, um, you know, uh, good moral characters in our literature. Um, And so um, we are very specific about putting good books in front of our kids in our library. Um, We also have a great books list for homework every night that we want our kids to do for their nightly reading. Sometimes parents will come in and they'll say, well, we don't like any of the books on your reading list. And um, and so we'll have to explain to them why that is. You know, I would never say um, I would never teach a lesson on fractions and then say, now go home and do whatever math you want to do tonight. If I'm teaching about fractions, I want them to do fractions for tonight. So if we're a classical core, classically oriented core knowledge school and reading good works of literature, then for their homework, we want them to read good works of literature. And so we have to explain that. So those are the types of things I think that's nice when we've got uh, veteran staff that have moved from the other campus. If those questions come up, they don't have to skip a beat and they can answer the question as to why we have that. And when we have staff that are not very knowledgeable about what we're doing, they're going to hesitate and they're going to trip up on their answer. And that, and then the parent might, you know, edge in, you know, they might say, well, maybe this time, don't worry about it, read whatever book. And we really want somebody that can confidently shut that down and give them an answer as to why we're doing what we're doing and to get buy-in. So that parent can leave that conversation and go explain it to somebody else that might be complaining about it. And that momentum will just build and build and build. And that's how I think you get a really tight, cohesive culture within a school where people have buy-in. 
Absolutely. So do you have any advice um, to core knowledge schools out there that are thinking about replication? Yeah, so I would say first and foremost, I think it's important just kind of like what we were just saying of having a very um, solid educational philosophy for your for the school um, and policies in place um, so that you can take in new staff and families and they can all quickly get into line. So if hypothetically, you know, a school was like we just um educate children, you know, um, all the time or whatever. Um, that to me is a pretty weak mission. It's like, well, that's, we're kind of all doing that. So what specifically are you doing that makes you special? And so, um, at Liberty, um, our mission very much aligns with, you know, teaching, um, a solid context, a body of knowledge for our students. And I think the more specific, um, mission you can have, uh, the better buy-in um, and you can get from the families and staff that are uh, joining in with, with the school. Um, uh, let's see what else. Um, also, I believe that having a large, so the lottery, I think was an interesting thing, having a larger lottery than you think. Um, I kind of thought that we'd be totally okay with 1200 on our lottery, but in reality, um, folks just aren't necessarily comfortable in taking the risk and coming to a new school. So um, I think you just have to be comfortable with folks um, saying no, that they, they're not ready to move their other school. And that's absolutely fine. And um, and even folks that have come to our school currently that have left that just said it's just too hard or whatever, that that is a thing and that is OK. And um, we very much are advocates of folks making the best decision for their children. Um, but that was an interesting thing to have such a large lottery and, and to not quite be able to fill our school. I do believe we'll be fine in future years because we'll just have more time. You know, we'll have now six months to, to, to fill the school versus three months. Um, but everybody's tolerance for a new school is different and um, folks travel long distances um, and it takes time, I think, for families to get comfortable and settle into a new campus. Um, so I'd say educational philosophy and, and a large lottery really are going to be the, the biggest thing. Yep. The two most important things, the education piece and making sure you have uh, people in the seats. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly know? right. Got to keep the doors open. We got to get the people in the seats. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We did a lot of public info nights. I'm telling you, I got it. I got it dialed. We did probably one one a week throughout the summer, pretty much. And, um, and there's a pretty good turnout at every single one of those. And that's really what it takes for folks to learn about our school. You know, we, we really want families to make the best educational decision for their kids. And so we really want to front load, um, educating families about what our school is all about. And, um, and so we were, we were hosting them here when the other school is even in this building. And then, um, as we moved in, we began, um, hosting public info nights so folks could come in and kick the tires and really see what our school is all about. And like I said, as we began to put artwork up, or even now when we have a public info night, folks can walk around and they can see student work up on the walls. And that gives more comfort to see really, you know, what what are what are our expectations and what are the things that our kids are learning about here. And I think that will um, draw in more folks um, as we move through the years. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Casey. And we wish you all the success. Uh, which I know you don't you don't need uh, need that because I know you will be extremely successful because Liberty Com and the Plato campus already is, and I'm sure Aristotle will be too. But thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Kristen. Thanks for having me on. It was great chatting with you.